Hey there, I'm Brad Feld, co-host of the Give First podcast, along with David Cohen. In this podcast, we talk about mentors and entrepreneurs in the startup world and discuss the concept of Give First, which means being willing to help other people without an expectation of return. It's not altruism. You do expect to get something back, but you just don't know when, from whom, and what consideration over what time period. Stay tuned for some great stories from some outstanding entrepreneurs about how making Give First makes great entrepreneurship possible. And now, before we really get started, the legal stuff, spoken really quickly. The following discussion is expression of personal opinion does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversation is for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal, business, investment, or tax advice, and it's not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities in some of the companies discussed in this podcast. This is not in tiny little print at the bottom of the advertisement on your TV set, because it's a podcast. Today's a special episode of the Give First podcast. I'm really uh, happy to be interviewing a person who's incredibly special to me, uh, along with many other people uh, named Len Fassler. We've got a room full of people here, actually, uh, uh, listening to Len and talking to Len all morning. Uh, And I'd like to introduce two people just off the bat who have a long relationship with Len, me, and Techstars, who are also going to be part of this, uh, Jenny Lawton and Frank Alfano. Jenny, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Jenny Lawton, and I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Techstars. And uh, I've known Len and Len for 30 years and Brad for a few few more than that. Eek. <laughs> I'm Frank Alfano. I'm the EVP of Growth at Techstars. And I've known Len for a long, long time, over 35 years or something like that. We've done many different things together. Um, had a lot of highs and a lot of lows, but uh, we always were friends. I met I met Len for the first time when he bought my first company, uh, and that first company was called uh, Feld Technologies, very creatively named after my father. Uh, rule number 731 of business is don't name your company after yourself, because when things go wrong, people call for Mr. Feld. It took me a while to learn that, that mistake. Um, but Len, uh, through the company that he had at the time, which was a company originally called Sage Alerting Systems, uh, and then ultimately called Ameridata, um, acquired my company, and we were the eighth company of about 40 uh, that Ameridata acquired uh, during a period of time. And this was how we first got to know each other. But Len, your career goes back much further than Sage Alerting Systems. Yeah. Well, everybody's career started somewhere. And mine, actually, when I thought about this, when you asked me to talk about my relationship with the companies and with you guys, I said, well, you know, I really started uh, at school. I studied accounting. I got my CPA. I went to law school. So I had these tools to begin to do something. And I had this... uh, a uh, little uh, expression almost that uh, I had as I approached business. I had to have fun doing it. I had to make money doing it. And somehow the business had to make a contribution to what was going on in this world. And two out of three would not be enough. And as I went through the my early business experiences with some businesses that you know about and some that you don't, it became very clear to me. And I could say, yes, uh, I I satisfied two of the three uh, of these 
requirements that I made for myself. The one that it didn't satisfy was making enough money <laughs> so that I didn't have to wor worry about money every week. So along came a person I got to know pretty well, Tom Kelly, who uh, was the founder, had an idea. You know, it all started with an idea for him. He was a, a naval officer and a uh, well-trained engineer in one of the Pennsylvania schools. And when he was in Japan, stationed there, he saw that the Japanese had a telephone system that could work compatible with the American system with making no changes. It was almost a plug-in thing. He could go there and buy it in a box and sell it here and plug it in. Now, taking that idea and getting it to a company is a completely different set of issues. But at least we started with an idea. And it was an idea, in my view, that if it succeeded, I could have made money. <laughs> so you went from this first experience with Ty. You worked for 10 years you know, in this company that you joined with this entrepreneur. What happened next? What was the next part of the journey? Well, there was stuff before that, too, enduring it. Yeah. Because you found out you don't have to do the same thing today because you did it yesterday. You see something out there and you want to do it too. But we uh, were talking it earlier about it earlier today. We had the time, uh, Jerry LeBeau and I, who was a, a then partner with me, uh, built a, a group of uh, 24 radio stations, which we owned around the country. Now there too, the radio was very good. It was fun and it made a contribution but I wasn't going to make any money. Well, once you realize that, you're not doing all three, then you're not carrying out your mission. And so uh, how did you meet Jerry, Jerry LeBeau? Well, I decided I wanted to get into radio. I thought that would be a good thing for me. I always liked radio, and so he said, it's not a big deal to buy it if you buy the right one. If you buy the wrong one, it'll take you to the cleaners. So Jerry was a radio expert, and he really was. He could know the call letters of every station in the United States, how high their towers are, why they work, what they have to do to improve. He was very good at it. Uh, so that lasted until we decided, as he did, that we weren't getting, we were having fun, but wasn't getting us anywhere. What did you do with that, with that business? That business was sold off. Sold off. And I remember yeah, that you, you had some investing activity. Uh, yeah, all the investors get paid off. Yep. Get paid off first. I make sure of that. You always have. So you and you and Jerry LeBeau ended up working on a couple of other things together that uh, evolved into the business that bought yeah, my well, first then, business. So then the next, uh, what I thought was a pretty impressive company that we built was Ameridata. It were these these were halcyon days and in the uh, computer reseller business. And there's, there, was a, there was an easy way to find good deals. And the easy way, and it's there today. The culture is different today for it, but the opportunity is there. Work with the brokers in the field. They know every deal out there. You don't. And they know why some are working and why are not. If they're honest with you, you've got to find the honest ones. You end up working with two or three and make sure they get paid. 
Make sure the broker. Make sure the brokers get paid. Pardon? Make sure the bankers get paid or the brokers get paid. Someone's got to pay them. You got to make sure. If you, if not, you're not going to get another deal. So you bought. That's you, your penalty. You bought a lot of companies in a we short a period lot of, of times. Companies, we paid a lot of commissions. Yeah. How did you How did you evaluate whether or not to buy a company? So, well, lots came to you, but how did you decide you wanted I, to do I, it? It wasn't that. Of course, I, it wasn't me that did that. You know, we had a group of people there who really understood accounting. So, firstly, we'd go through the company from an accounting perspective. In other words, if everything else looks good, but it's not going to make any money, we shouldn't be dealing with it. And they'll, someone has to write, read the stuff and write a report, and uh, we became a team of an M&A team. Who, uh, our mission was to grow the company. And after a while, you it became easier to do because an M&A transaction is really trust. You got to trust the person that's selling. You got to trust the person that's who you're buying from. If you can establish the trust, you're going to get a deal done. And if you get a deal done, that person, since he's also part of your company now, is going to want to succeed. So he would help us to do the due diligence, uh, to find the deal. If he lived in uh, Texas, he knew pretty, pretty much all the people who were doing this kind of work in Texas, or the same thing in any other state. The brokers kind of knew it on a, a larger territory. So we, if you decide that you want to grow, there are these ways of, of getting into it with brokers and and with a team of people who know what they're doing, who can get a deal done quickly and don't horse around with the people and uh, just make believe you're going to buy. I think a powerful part of that was my experience uh, when I when I first met you. Yours was different. Well, but part of the introduction there was actually through a company that you bought, right? Jim Galvin was the person that introduced us. It was us. a company I bought, but let me ask you, the, the question should be asked this way. If I couldn't buy the company and you would come, I would that would be fine. If I had to if you would only come with the company, that's fine too. I had to do what you wanted to do because you were my target press. Yeah, well I got <laughs> that, I got I got that message in those, in those days. And what you and then the nice thing also is uh, if you're a people person and you are and I I certainly am, Frank, you uh you, you get to understand the importance of the relationship. You want to make a relationship that is forever. And now, so it went from being, you know, cordial to close to now when I hang up, you don't even talk business, but I say, I love you, Brad. And I say, I love you. I say, I love you back because yeah, it's that kind right, of a relationship. But I, but I mean it. Yep. So you, you can't do that if you don't mean it. Yep. I agree. Frank, you, you joined Ameridata about six months after uh, my first company was acquired by Ameridata. Uh, tell, how did you get connected up with Ameridata, and what's, what's your first memories of Len? So the, the way I got connected, um, I was in public accounting at the time, um, a tax guy, and I wanted out of public accounting badly. And there was a client that was growing like a weed, um, Ameridata. And I heard from one of the uh, my audit friends that they needed that someone to run their tax department. So um, I met with the CFO, 
and he liked me, but he was not ready to move because he was trying to be very frugal with his dollars and bring me in right before he could file his tax return. Um, so finally it took me six months to get in there. And the first meeting I had, um, Len and Jerry came in. Jerry Pock was Len's partner in that business and met with him for about 10 minutes. Um, Len had this like little glint in his eye. Um, it, we definitely connected on a personal level. Jerry was very technical, um, understood the tax stuff that I was talking about. And they said, um, all right, give me, give us a minute. They walked out, they grabbed Dick and I could tell they went out and told Dick, will you just hire this guy? We're, we're done. They never came back, never saw them again. It took Dick another month to get hired. Um, and then I started as the, uh, the uh, director of tax dial forward, uh, about six months, we were working on a transaction where we were going to buy six companies from uh, Control Data, all their international businesses, and Len was driving it, and it was a heavy-duty tax thing. So he and I got very close on that deal. We traveled all over the world, um, and uh, it was after that, it was you know we just continued that ball was rolling for a long time through a lot of things. So Ameridata was a, a public company which was my first encounter uh, working for and working with a public company. Um, how, how do you think uh, the experience is different today for public companies than it was back then? Or was it, was it different? How did you think about being a public company versus being a private company? Well, uh, it, was, it, was, it was easier to do deals if you were public because you had the stock to deal with the trade-off too. And... Uh, People seemed to like it. It was a forward step in financing, and and I understood that. And I, I was uh, exposed to the public market early on, with other uh, other things. So I wasn't afraid of it. Some people are just afraid of the amount of work. If you have a really good accounting firm, and we did, I, in my view, they keep you out of trouble. And uh, and it is a way to finance, and it's uh, it's helpful even. Uh, for whatever reason, people think if you you, you put out a 10K, uh, it's more trustworthy as financials and uh, whatever I may give them as, a, uh, as financials. And I had to do it because we borrowed from IBM and other, other people. You know, once you're on a roll, all the money's coming to you, as you know. You don't have to look for money anymore or for, until you make a mistake. Then you got to start looking again. But... Uh, we had some good runs. Ameridata got bought by uh, GE Capital. Um, what was that like? Uh, well, you're going from an entrepreneurial kind of public company to a structured public company. So what's it like? It depends on what your own motives are. and what. Uh, it, for me, I'd well, get out of it day one. Other people like to stay, so I can't. Uh, uh, and for, but for different reasons, you may have enough cash to say to hell with them. And other people that don't, not that, don't have that luxury. I don't like working for a very large structured public company, or uh, perhaps even a non-public company. Yeah, I remember. I remember when that deal happened. Within, you know, maybe a week or two, we were you. You and I were already talking about. Uh, the internet and some of the other things going on around the internet. So it wasn't as though 
you know, the acquisition was a final stop uh, in terms of the evolution of what you're doing. If anything, it was kind of another step in that path. So when, when I think about the number of people that you interacted with at Ameridata through that uh, period of time as that company grew, one of the things that uh, I reflect on a lot and I've learned from in my own experience is just how important those relationships were uh, in the companies that you acquired. I think the relationships go on and they start a new businesses maybe three, four years later. So let's talk about one of those businesses that got started, which is the way that you met Jenny. Jenny, what's your first recollection of meeting Len and sort of what was coming together in that period of time? So I met Len when uh, when Interliant, what was then Sage Networks, um, was buying my, my first company, NetDamons. Um, I... I got brought into the deal because of you, Brad. You and I were both uh, entrepreneurs in the same world at the same time, and you were on my board. Um, Frank was in the process of buying my company, and uh, and I met Len in that process. And um, I used to I used to go home and say like, ah, oh, you just can't look in Len's eyes because they're like, he can't say no to him. <laughs> and it was um, you know my first experience with not my first experience, but a real experience with someone who was clearly special, really valued people, really valued relationships, um, immense amount of authenticity and um, an immediate attraction to like, this This has to be real and good because there couldn't be someone like that uh, as the chairman of the company if it, if it wasn't real and good. So it was incredibly convincing and, and uh, you know, life-changing. Thank you. And we had another experience with the, uh, oh, what is that, the company in uh, New York, uh, Forget the name already, Frank. Just interline. Oh, interline. Interline. Not interline. It aligns that story of its own. <laughs> well, uh, do you do you remember do you remember when we started Interline? Sort of some of the the uh, original activity around that. I do remember some of it, uh, and it was a uh, look. I remember it was an exciting time and a good idea, and uh, even pretty good execution, but we didn't win. I, I think we didn't we didn't win. Interline's a good example of a company that uh, was formative for certainly for me and I think for for both Frank and Jenny. Frank was my birthday present one year. He joined Interline on my birthday uh, to head up all our M and A activity as we were starting to grow very quickly. And and Len decided he wanted a sidekick in in Frank. And uh, I had known Frank obviously from Ameridata, and so that was an easy thing. And I remember that was a big relief when 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 you joined. The interesting thing about that business, and it's part of the lesson of business, is we, we did have a lot of great people um, that we attracted uh, through the time of that business. We had a lot of uh, acquisitions, so we met lots of new people through that. It was a very, very sort of fast-growing time. The business, I think, grew from nothing to about $200 million in revenue in three years. And it was a time when the, when the company went public where the public markets were valuing growth among other things. They didn't care about anything else. All you had to do was grow. And I remember a board meeting that we were at, uh, and, and you, were, you were agitated. And it was agitated in, uh, I would say, sort of the grumpy old man kind of way of being agitated. And uh, is in the middle of this board meeting, and we're talking about whatever nonsense we're talking about. And, and you sort of pound on the table, and you said something like, you know, damn it, at some point we're going to have to make money. I don't know if you remember that moment, but I remember that moment. And I don't, I don't remember dismissing it 
like saying, ah, that's not how the world works. But I remember not taking it very seriously. Uh, and I remember you not taking it seriously. I yeah. remember that. I was there. You I were remember there? And, and we were very adamant. We have got to get to making money. Yeah. I, was I with feel them. the same way about WeWorks. Well, that was, a, that was a powerful moment for me because ultimately when I reflected on on the business and, you know, I've been involved in funding lots and lots of companies that have grown quickly and, you know, they lose money along their, the growth rate of that. But at some point you have to become a business that, that makes money. And that moment for me, which was probably about a year before the business started to uh, fall apart, like many other companies in the internet bubble, because it wasn't in a position where uh, it could turn itself around to be self-funding. And when capital dried up and there wasn't capital available, uh, that that was the end of the story. But that was a powerful moment because in my first company, we always made money because we had no money. And so every month we had to make a profit. And so I sort of came from that. But then there was this period of, of suspending disbelief amongst the public markets and amongst investors and amongst entrepreneurs where it was kind of grow at all costs, independent of what the fundamentals of the business were. And that was really and antithetical the, to you. there were forces on you, which I think you needed to try to resist. Because the, uh, I'd say the underwriters would push you to do more sales, and they they weren't worried about profits then either. They told you got this from them. So don't worry about the profits. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry about that. We'll be able to raise more money for you. And you know, for a while that was true until the moment that it wasn't. It wasn't true. And uh, in the moment, that's the moment that you, you need to worry about. I remember that moment. I remember that board meeting. Yeah, that was a powerful one. It was a powerful one to reflect on. Um, what are uh, Jenny? Y- you sold your company to Interalliant, and for a period of time, that was a super successful thing because the stock price went up a bunch, and everything felt great, and there was tons of activity, and we we're traveling all over the world buying other companies, and and then all of a sudden, it, you know, as the wheel started to come off, how did that feel as somebody who had sold their company into this and now was part of the senior leadership team around it, and? I remember even in the most miserable moments, I'm going to tell a story in a sec about that, but I remember even in the most miserable moments, Len was, uh, Len was optimistic and Len was in there fighting every day and trying to rally us all. What's your memory of that period of time? Uh, it's, it's interesting. My memory of that period of time isn't, isn't a bad memory. And I feel it was all, uh, it was all a learning experience for one. And, um, we were all in it together. Um, so, <clears throat> While it was a hard time, I also felt like we were we were all working together towards a common goal. Could always go on a walk with Len, smoke a cigar. He learned how to uh, how to smoke a cigar through secondhand smoke. Um, <laughs> but there was always, um, you know, it was always um, we we knew what we were doing and why we were doing it, and we were there there working together um, to to get somewhere. So I, I think I, um, it it wasn't one, bad. One of the questions Brad gave me that he may want to get to and. I'll just move it. It's not we're on the point almost, but you said you to me that you had some good deal, good times and some bad times. How did you deal with either of them? And I always say it's easier to deal with the good times. The bad ones are valuable too. And like now, it we shouldn't wait uh, twenty years to talk about them. But uh, if you can talk about them sooner, may you, you may be able to take corrective action, but certainly not to do the same kind of thing again or listen to the same bullshit again, you know? You got to keep your own feet on the ground and let it make sense and trust the people who you grew the company with, not just outsiders. Yeah, I think trust, loyalty, 
um, yeah. you know, and, and team you just know, feel we like we make it, we make it together. Remember. And if we don't, at least we try it together. In, in one of the darkest days in that experience, um, I had a, a moment that really sticks with me because it was a turning point in my own, uh, my own development, which was, I was, I would stay at your house, uh, when I would come to New York, I lived in, in Boulder by then, uh, the headquarters were in purchase, you were living in Harrison. And so, you know, I would come to New York and I, I kind of lived out of Dewey Ballantyne's office uh, for periods of time, which was our law firm as we're doing all these acquisitions. I just hole up there. But, you know, then I'd, I'd stay with you uh, at night when I wasn't staying in the city. And uh, I remember one morning very, very, very vividly. And I, I, it, was, it was a moment where we had just been getting beat up every day. And no matter what we did, it felt like there was another pile of shit that we had to deal with. And you'd wake up and you'd grind through, you know, whatever, a 12 or 14 hour day of just trying to deal with stuff. And then you'd sort of, and for me, it was not just interliant, but I was also invested in a bunch of other companies at this point. So I was spending a bunch of time dealing with lots of other things that weren't working. And so I'm sitting at your breakfast table. And I woke up pretty early usually because I wasn't sleeping very well. And I was, uh, I, I remember gnawing on a cold bagel. I didn't even have the energy uh, to go like warm the bagel up. I was just gnawing on a cold bagel, sort of waiting for you to show up. And you showed up in the kitchen and you sort of put your arms, I was just sitting there dejected over the table. You put your arms around me from behind. You sort of gave me a hug. And you said, come on, suit up, kid. They can't kill you and they can't eat you. <laughs> And the, and then you and you sort of tapped your fist on the table like you like to, and you said, "Let's go." And I I just carry that around with me whenever I'm struggling. They, they can't kill you and they can't eat you. Is that such a powerful statement against the backdrop of really difficult things that sometimes you can fix and sometimes you can't? But at least you're in it with somebody that you want to be in it with, that you yeah. trust and that you feel real loyalty to. And I know Jenny and Frank. We've been in those situations, you know, with each other and t- together in various companies. Any 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 reaction to that? Uh, absolutely. So my reaction is I actually was about to escape Interliant and go work at another company Len had started up. And um, it was going to be a step forward. Took the weekend off, took my kids to D.C. Len called me Sunday. I figured, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to get me ready for my new job. And go over to his house and we take a walk and discover the CEO of Interliant quit. The CFO quit. There was some letter on the convert deal that had not been answered in six months. Len's walking me. He says, I need you to be, to become the CFO. I said, I'm a tax guy. And we talked it through. I said, Len, I, I can't do this alone. He goes, yeah, it's transactional. It'd be fine. And I'm going to be there with you. I figured, well, if he needs me to do it, I'm going to do it with him. And we literally jumped in and went and and restructured a humongous convertible debt deal that neither of us had any idea what to do. And I remember the first meeting we went in and we, we met the guys. And the whole point was, let's just listen to him. Don't say anything. So we listened and we listened and Len decided, you know what? He's not a bad guy. Let's Let's see if we can do something. And we ended up restructuring that deal from 165 down to 40. And we felt like, all right, we got second wind. Um, and that was big. And and it was trusting all of us, you know, and, and he was the leader for that. He, he said, come on, you know, strap it on and let's go. 
they can't eat us. And I, I never forget they can't eat so us. See, you can see what, what it's like uh, uh, being able to have business friends like this just get together and talk. And the, a lot of things come to mind. And we all know we would have done something differently if we were thinking differently at the time. But at least we all did okay. <laughs> we did. Well, one of, one, of, one of my joyful things that uh, uh, I, always, uh, I always did with you, and it was sort of an end-of-the-day experience, was the same thing Jenny was describing with the cigars, is sort of go for a walk and, uh, and, and smoke a cigar, watch you smoke a cigar uh, as we went for a walk. And there was a moment where I realized that uh, every time you'd wander over to wherever I was, a lot of times in the office, and you say, let's go for a walk, uh, that was signal for we've got a thing we got to deal with. <laughs> let's <laughs> let, get ready, get ready to think it through, and and we walked a lot in that period of time. Yeah, Central Park, plenty of Central Park, but also plenty of walking in circles around Purchase. That's what I remember That's the right. most. So if you, you sort of kind of roll through that, um, and you think about some of the uh, the moments where you had these experiences where you were this amazing mentor, you were an incredible mentor to me, incredible mentor to Jenny, Frank, many others. Who were some of the people that helped you develop and learn? Who were some of your mentors? You know, I uh, I know you asked me that question before, so I tried to uh, think how to answer it. And I, I always get back to a couple of teachers that I had at uh, mainly at accounting school who really taught me to think differently, not to accept the numbers as you see them, but to look beyond them. What are they telling you? They're telling you a story. And how can you do it simpler? Always try to do it simpler, not more complicated. I can't get a transaction done today without 100 pages of illegal bullshit. There's no need for that. And we let that happen as business people. And we're stupid enough to pay for it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we have to do some rethinking on a larger scale that is beyond this uh, discussion. But it should be had. And there's no reason for what's going on out there. You can't start a small business now without wanting to spend $100,000 in legal fees. It's crazy. Yeah, I... I uh... When I when I sold Felt Technologies to you, we'd never had a lawyer up to that point. Uh, we didn't need one. We didn't need one, and uh, our our legal agreement was with our clients was one page long, and it just was written and played in English, and we never really thought about it. And after sort of being around you some at Ameridata and seeing some deals get done, uh, I became personally curious about how deals were done. I was starting to invest as an angel investor during this time. And I remember at Interliant, in one of our very early, de one of the very early deals we did, we were together as the legals were coming together, and we were working. Remember, we were working with Bruce Klein, was uh, uh, the attorney that Bruce, was helping yeah. us. And uh, the the documents were in near near final form, and you sat down at the table, at sort of big conference room table, by yourself. Uh, and I sat down next to you, and I said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "I'm going to look through the documents." And I said, "Okay." sort of wondering what you meant by look through the documents. And I sat next to you as you went page by page and read each page of the near final document. And, you know, I don't remember how many pages it was. 
and I, I watched you, and I don't know if you remember this moment. I said, hey, can we do that again? But I want to turn the pages this time. I want, to, I want to read through the document at my pace, and I want to ask you questions about these things to make sure I understand it. Because you were moving pretty quickly through it. And that was the first time that I'd really read from beginning to end uh, you know, a financing document or an acquisition document. And uh, you know, now tens of thousands of them later, whatever the number is, uh, I really learned how to read them from you. Part of what the message was, was there's a couple of things that matter. Make sure you really understand them. There's a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. Make sure that nothing that matters gets snuck into those sections. And that was kind of what you showed me that first time. And I don't know, uh, uh, you know, Frank, how much of the same kind of experience you had as you were starting to learn how to do M&A from being a tax guy, but I got to believe it's kind of similar. It was, it was the, almost the same experience in flipping through. Um, it started going through with Len, the contracts, and was learning, okay, these are the sections of this contract. This is how it's put together. Now, you got to watch how these relate and think about what the implications if someone sneaks something in there. But here's our key points we got to make sure that we keep our eye on. And obviously, as you get better at it, you can move through a contract really fast because you know what to look for. But um, his mind, because of the accounting and legal side, um, worked in a different way than I've seen anyone else in, that's, that's ever uh, watched contracts and gone through it. Um, and it was always keep it simple. We always tried to get stuff out of our contracts. Yeah, it was very powerful for me because I, I see even today the number of, of CEOs at the beginning of companies or even established companies that don't really, you know, whether or not they even know how to read the documents that they're signing, spend almost no time looking at the documents that they're signing. And it's part of the problem that you describe where it just becomes this, you know, ballooning of legal information yeah. rather than focusing on what well, are the I'm key sure you have that, deal. and it's very difficult to stop, particularly when you start getting into uh, complicated financing. Uh, it, it, it just seemed to be documents upon documents, and uh, it's very hard to relate it to. That's right. Well, let's end this main section with, with a piece of advice. Um, if you had a piece of advice uh, for people who are thinking about starting a company and any point in their career. It could be very early in their career. They could have already had a career doing something else, but they're now they're thinking about starting a company. What would be the piece of advice you'd give them? I would say you, you, you try to do more reading uh, initially uh, and uh, not only in uh, what's going on today, but what's going on in the 19th century how ideas are formed, and I mean, look at all the innovation that happened in the 19th century that we don't even think anymore is innovation, like uh, railroads, yep. you know, and uh, those guys knew how to make money. So understand, uh, understand some history versus thinking, oh, it's all different this time around, right. and use that to build. And they can, uh, you know, some of the people, everybody reads your stuff, so... Whatever you're able to give them, and see, I knew you do. A, I knew you'd do a good advertisement for me. <laughs> well, then I'll do that in, in, with photographs too, if you want me to. But, <laughs> yes, uh, your stuff is, is really good, is great, but it needs a base also. Absolutely. Where are they coming from? All right, let's shift as as we end this up. Let's shift to something that's always fun uh, for the interviewer, hopefully fun for the interviewee, which are some rapid fire questions. 
And for these, I'm going to ask you a question, and I just want a short answer. It can be up to a minute, but just a short answer to each topic. Ready? Okay, first one is, what's a book that every entrepreneur should read? What's the book that A book every... that you think every entrepreneur should read. Well, I just said your book. And, okay. uh, Other than my book. Well, take a book in the 19th century. Okay. Uh, let's see. Maybe I wrote one down here. I don't even remember anymore. History of Railroads. Okay, question two. What's your favorite city? It's For me, it's very easy. It's New York. Why? Uh, you know, look, I was born here. I like it here. I married here. My kids are here. I'm here. There you go. If you could have dinner with anyone on the planet. I'm going to change your question a little bit because I read the question. The person whose discussion I miss the most is my first wife. She was really the smartest person I know. But, you know, some people can take an idea, take one of my ideas, and as I give it to her, it takes me about three minutes to give her the idea. And it'll come back in a book within an hour. I mean, she was able to just take every possible side of it and understand it. And uh, besides that, she was fun. This was Joan. 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 That's sweet. Really sweet. Last question. If you could contribute to one charity, who would you encourage people to contribute to? One charity. Charity. Well, I'll give you a charity that I'm active in now that is uh, entrepreneurial. About 10 years ago, a rabbi that I knew, I know, still know him, told me about a school he wants to form to teach girls, Orthodox girls, to be rabbis and license them. So I, it's, it, if you understood the history uh, in 2000, so well, yeah, years this has never been. So for most people, Orthodox, they, they, they just want no part of this. Well, this, this is the kind of thing that I like to get involved with. So I did. And in 10 years, we now have 35 synagogues around the country, mostly in the South, who are employing these uh, women with great success. I mean, it makes, you, makes me feel good to see it happening and while I can still see it happening. That's great. What's the name of the organization? Maharat. Maharat. So we'll put it in the show notes, but as part of being part of the Give First podcast, uh, we're going to make a contribution to Maharat. Thank you. Uh, in your name. So thank you. Appreciate it. Len, thank you for spending time today doing this. Um, you've been an incredible force in my life. I know in Jenny and Frank's life and many others, I see Jenny and Frank nodding their heads. Um, and just so appreciate you taking the time to reflect and to just share with us some of your uh, experiences and some of your thoughts and most importantly, some of your love. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. I mean, here for my grandson, not, not at all. No, he's oh, saying did, no. Did you enjoy away. the session today? How do we do, how do, we do Matthew? Okay. Yeah, all right. We've got an audience here. This is a part of the joy of uh, the Give First podcast is sometimes it's, it's you know, Brad sitting in a room or David Cohen sitting in a, in a room with a telephone uh, interviewing somebody else. Today we made a party out of it. We got donuts. Uh, we got some fruit, and we got lots and lots of time with Len. So, Len, it's been a joyful morning. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Thank you all for coming. Thanks for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or any person that you'd love to hear from on Give First. Please also leave us a rating and review and reach out to us at podcasts at techstars.com where you can reach me on Twitter at bfeld. See you next time. And don't forget to always give first. Thank you.